I looked into my future and I realized I had certain decisions to make. And I think it's in the moment of our decisions that our life really is shaped and created. And every moment we are constantly faced with decisions. Every moment uh, we are constantly faced with a choice. Each choice can take you closer to your destiny or further away. This is your Kick-Ass Life podcast, episode number 261 with guest Coot Blackson. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast with Andrea Owen a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you are here. As I record this, it is day five of snow days. And if you are a parent and if you live anywhere where it snows, you know what I'm talking about. We got, let's see, it was Sunday. We got almost a foot of snow. And for North Carolina, for this part of North Carolina, that is really unusual. It's it's a lot all at once. We do get snow, but we don't get that much. And we don't get it all at once. And we typically don't get it in December. Last year, so I think this is our fifth winter here. Last year was the first winter we actually got snow in December. It usually waits until January. And we just got dumped on. And it was fun and nice. And it's it's the kind of town where everything shuts down. If it snows this much, people are really understanding. I mean, it's like state of emergency. It's kind of funny. Having lived in Utah for three years where this is just a normal winter day, a foot of snow. People are like, meh, whatever. School still is in session. People are walking outside and exercising. It's no big deal at all. But here, people are freaking out. It's kind of like when it rains in Southern California, similar. But when we lived in Utah, we had a snowblower. And oh my gosh, my husband was like a kid at Christmas with that thing. And when we moved to North Carolina, I was like, we're not going to need our snowblower. We're going to get like an inch of snow every season. Wrong. I was wrong. I readily admit now <laughs> I was wrong. I swear I thought I read that on Wikipedia or something. So, you know, when you're moving across the country, you don't want to take all of the things. And so we got rid of the snowblower and I had to profusely apologize to my husband. And um, no, it was funny. And we just really could have used that snowblower. We have a very long driveway and it was a lot of shoveling. It was a lot of shoveling, but it was great exercise. Looking at the bright side. It was great exercise because I wasn't able to get to the gym, although my back, that is that is the true meaning. Now I know where they got the term backbreaking work because not only do we get a lot of snow, it rains and then it's wet. And so you're shoveling a foot of snow. I had to do it in layers. <laughs> I had to like first four inches shovel, next four inches shovel because it was so heavy. So it's been an adventure. My kids have been home all week. I kind of knew that they would cancel school Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but I was holding out hope that they'd go back for Thursday and Friday, but alas, they did not, and school is still closed. It's kind of it's kind of a joke in the South how people totally freak out over storms and go and buy all the milk and bread and cancel school for days and days and days. So yes, there's been a lot of shoveling going on over here. And last night I was standing in my living room looking around, trying to figure out how I'm going to move the furniture around to get y'all in my living room. I have a new group program that's starting in March. And part of it as a bonus is a two-day live workshop retreat here at my house in North Carolina. Come and hang out with me. 
Come and snuggle up in my living room with more amazing women and my dog. I cannot wait for this. The group program is all about shame resilience. It's the thing that I've been teaching over the last several years, deep transformational work. It's really, how do we actually put it into practice? If you read my book, How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, and you resonated with those chapters on people-pleasing, perfectionism, hiding and numbing out, control, all of those difficult things, overachieving, compare and despair, it could go on and on. That's what we are learning how to let go of. How, how, how do you actually do this? And I've also added some new things and I've basically kind of put together all of my greatest hits, all of the things that over the last 10 years, people have said, this is the thing that helped me the most. This is the thing that created long lasting change in my life. One of the modules is on boundaries and hard conversations, because how can I ask you, to go out into your life and be vulnerable and try to have these amazing connections with friends and partners and people in your life and practice shame resilience. And oh, by the way, boundaries is a huge part of that. Have fun. No, I'm teaching you how to do that. And I'm super, super pumped for this program. It's really, I think, the fourth or fifth time that I've taught this particular curriculum. The invitation page is not quite ready yet, so if you want more information, I have this handy-dandy Google Doc that has bullet points, who's it for, what you'll learn, what are the logistics, how much does it cost, all of those things. Shoot an email to support at yourkickasslife.com. We're happy to help you out. There's an application And if it's a great fit, which it probably is, then let's hop on the phone. You can ask all your questions and I can tell you how I think this program can help your unique life based on the questions that you answer in the application. And then you can make your decision from there. And I'd love to have you. I'd love to get to hug you in my living room and invite you over here to my house and spend many, many weeks with you as you grow and stretch and learn. So speaking of love and snuggles... My guest today is amazing, and he I call him an evangelist for love. I think that's what I called him when we were talking, and he's just intense, and I love intense people, and he's just great. So before we jump into this conversation, let me tell you a little bit about Coot. A charismatic visionary and transformational leader, Coot Blackson offers a fresh, bold look at spiritual awareness for a whole new generation. Born in Ghana, West Africa, Coot's multicultural upbringing as the child of a Japanese mother and a Ghanaian father has spanned four different continents. His unique lineage lay the foundation for his approach to breaking down barriers and unlocking an individual's true gifts and greatness. So without further ado, here is Coot. Coot Blackson, thank you so much for being here. It's good to be here. I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm as excited as you are. I know. I apologized a couple of minutes ago, everyone listening, because I was yelling. When I get excited about really anything, but especially about a guest, I tend to be very lively over here behind the microphone. And I just, I've spent a decent amount of time looking at your website and reading your blog posts. And I, I feel, you know, when I, I kind of walked away from it, I was like, I feel like Coot is like the evangelist for love. Is that a fair assessment? <laughs> you know, hey, I, I, I think that's a great, I'm going to use that, an evangelist for love. I've, I've, I've always been a, uh, a lover of love, and I think love is probably the most important thing on the planet, the most important thing while we're alive. You know, I think at the end of our lives, that's what we're going to care about. So it's, it's definitely something that is a calling and a passion of mine. Yeah, that was really clear. And I, 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 I love, no pun intended, that that is 
that you have followed that path and sort of followed that calling and made it your life's work. And in, you know, kind of from like um, a service provider standpoint, from what I understand, you help people build deeper and stronger connections with themselves and help them get to know who they truly are. So can you tell us what led you to do this work to helping people sort of find themselves? Of course. Of course. I mean, for me, uh, there wasn't like one moment that was the moment that you could say I started on this path, you know, from a very young age, around age five, age six, I always felt a deep calling, a deep calling to serve humanity. I remember being a young boy in London and also Ghana, West Africa, and I just felt this burning desire to help people. I felt this burning, unexplainable desire to make a difference in people's lives. I didn't quite know what that was going to look like, but it was in my heart. And I remember being also around age five, age six, age seven, being a chubby kid in Ghana, West Africa. And one of the first memories that started my path was being lost in the crowd. And I remember seeing this crippled woman crawling on the floor and she picks up the sand that this man walks on, wipes on her face and stands up. And and so week after week, I was, you, you could say, privileged to see, you know, the same man who stands, she picked up, literally look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, why are you in this wheelchair? Stand up, you're not sick. Or look at a man in crutches and say, why do you have these crutches? Throw these crutches away. Cancer being cured. And you, so you could say, I was, I was around a lot of supposed miracles growing up that were for me I just thought of as normal Mm -hmm. and a lot of people thought of as just incredible and this man was my father and so my father built 300 churches in Ghana West Africa and had a huge church in London and he was uh, considered the miracle man of of Africa and the advisor to to presidents and heads of state and so this was the environment I grew up in so from age eight I actually started speaking in my father's audiences and, and at his church age 14 I was ordained as a minister in my father's church But honestly, I remember around that age, I knew that that wasn't my path. I knew that the trajectory and the life that was being planned for me was not my life. You know, that feeling you have when you feel when you have this knowing that something is is terribly off, terribly uh, wrong. And so I just didn't have the courage in that moment to own my truth. I didn't have the courage to say to my father, this isn't my path. I was too afraid that if I spoke my truth, if I was truly authentic, if I dared to be who I really was and followed my soul, that I would be, uh, I would lose my father's love. I would be outcast. I would be alone. I didn't want to rock the boat. So I denied my knowing. And for about four or five years, it was uh, tremendous, uh, tremendously painful. But when I turned 18, you know, and also during that time, Andrea, during that time, I also became very uh, obsessed with personal growth and spirituality mm-hmm. and meditation. And, and this was this was my, my life's passion. I remember starting to ask myself the questions around age eight. I read my first self-help book when I was age eight, a book uh, by called uh, Creative Visualization by uh, Shakti Gawain. That was all about how thoughts shape your reality. And, and I remember from that age, I probably read 800 books by the time I was 18, really just trying to understand the nature of reality, trying to understand the questions of who am I and why am I here and what's the purpose of life. And I would see so many folks growing up in London who seemed to have everything yet were miserable, but yeah. I also grew up around people that didn't have very much and, and yet they seemed happy and fulfilled. So things didn't, didn't seem to add up and didn't make sense. So I, I began a quest of trying to, to understand some of these questions. So when I was 18, 
uh, I looked into my future and I realized I had certain decisions to make. And I think it's in the moment of our decisions that our life really is shaped and created. And every moment we are constantly faced with decisions. Every moment uh, we are constantly faced with a choice. Each choice can take you closer to your destiny or further away. And so when I was 18, I looked into my future and I realized I could follow the expected path, the path that was expected of me, the safe path. The path uh-huh. that everyone expected of me, and I could follow that path, and I might be successful by everyone else's standards. But if I didn't have myself, if I didn't have my soul, if I wasn't following my own truth and my own integrity, at the end of the day, I had nothing. And so uh, I finally had a conversation with my father, I told him I wasn't taking over his uh, organization, which was a huge deal. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of followers. Well, that was know, my question, years. like, because it yeah. sounds like you were being groomed to do something specific, but I don't feel like you ended that far off the path. Was it that in your father's eyes, though? Uh, yeah, you know, when I when I told my father, hey, I'm not taking over your churches, okay. he was devastated. We didn't we didn't speak for, for mm, two, two and a half years. Because I mean, there it, wasn't it was, like a plan B of who was going to take over there, the churches. It was just there, you. There, there, there was no plan B. There was oh, just me. So there was a lot of hopes and dreams pinned on me. And I realized, you know, unless you're following, you can follow. There are no shortage of people that will have an idea of who you should be and how you should live and the life that you should live. But at the end of the day, if you're not living your own truth, then nothing outside is going to ultimately fulfill you. So I ha- I think it takes a lot of courage to feel your own truth. It takes a lot of courage to feel your own soul and listen to your soul's guidance when life and so many people around you are pointing you in a different direction. I think one of the things that also uh, stops us from being fulfilled, one of the things that stops us from being free are actually all the ways that we don't tell the truth to ourselves. You know, all the ways that we actually lie to ourselves, all the ways that we bullshit ourselves, Mm -hmm. all the ways that we rationalize, you know, maybe someone listening to this, maybe you're in a relationship and you know that you've either outgrown the relationship or it's not in alignment with your heart anymore. It's not, it's not, in integrity and you maybe you're staying in the relationship because of what society thinks or the expectations of those around you. And I think when we deny our truth, we die. And yeah. I say happiness is actually quite simple. It's not always easy. I, I always tell people, feel the truth, acknowledge the truth, uh, speak the truth, live the truth, happy life. Very simple, you know, but sometimes we play this game. We play this game of I'm confused or I don't know, or I'm not sure. And yet deep down, I think there's a part of us, all that we know, we have a knowing inside, but to own that knowing uh, takes a tremendous amount of courage. To own that knowing means we can no longer uh, abdicate responsibility. We can no longer blame those around us, the government, our parents, our friends, society. You know, To really mm-hmm. own the truth uh, uh, is a requirement. Well, what do you think is, because I hear a lot from my audience that they've become so disconnected from that truth and more specifically, so disconnected from (laughs) listening to their own heart, listening to their own body to be able to get to that truth. Do you have any words for those people that have found themselves in that situation? I would say, firstly, we get so distracted by so many, so much of life, social media and working and jobs. And I think we feel many times, I, I think, we feel the truth. We know the truth. We know what our soul is saying. But when we really feel into it, we're afraid. We're yeah. afraid of the consequences. We're afraid of, oh, my God, I'm going to, what will happen to my relationship if I own my truth? What will happen? You know, maybe I'm working a job and I hate my job and it's not in alignment. But how am I going to, how am I going to pay the bills? And so I think what we often do is we distract ourselves. So the first thing I would say is 
remove the distractions from your life and allow yourself to create the space in your life on a daily basis to actually listen. When we are so bombarded with so much external noise, social media, friends, family, news, you know, the pulls of life, we can't actually tune in to what our soul is actually seeking to say to us. We can't actually tune in to listen to what's already there. And I think we know, deep down, we already know we already have a knowing. I mean, how many times have maybe those listening and maybe you've been in a relationship in the past and you were in this relationship and you seem confused and you were confused for maybe weeks, months, years. Yet the moment that you broke up with that person you were confused about, maybe you told your friend, I knew that I knew I just knew that wasn't going to work, you know, mm-hmm. and, I, and so we have a we have a knowing. And so it takes a courage to actually listen to that knowing, tune into that knowing, create the space and the time in your life to actually be still, become quiet, and listen. And then we'll start tuning in to that. Sometimes the truth uh, emerges as a quiet whisper. Sometimes the truth emerges as a sense in the body. Sometimes the truth emerges just as a, as a fleeting thought that is beyond our regular thinking. But because we're running so fast, we can't actually catch the, the, the sort of glimmer of the truth that is in our heart. So remove distractions. And then ask yourself the question, number one, what lies am I telling myself? There's a couple of questions I would, I would give those listening in. The first one is what lies am I telling myself? What That's am a I, great what, question. What, that, yeah. What, yes. Everyone what, go and do that. What am I lying to myself about? But the second question is also, what am I pretending to not know? Because sometimes we're actually just pretending to not know. I'm not lying to myself about anything, but we're actually pretending. So what am I pretending to not know? And the mm-hmm. third question simply is, is actually more of an exercise, but it's still a question is, you know, what, what are the lies costing me? And to actually take the time to feel the pain, to actually feel, we don't want to feel the pain. And so the moment we feel the truth bubble up, we again, distract ourselves, actually feel the pain of living the life because the pain begins a process inside. The pain starts, if you really feel the pain of what it's costing you, the lie is costing you, it starts, it hurts. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important that we allow ourselves to feel the burn, to feel the hurt, to feel the pain, because that creates a, a momentum, a movement, an impetus to start moving in the direction. I'm a huge fan of actually, I call it doing the work and asking yourself those big questions. I encourage everyone to either pause this and do that exercise right now. Go hit the rewind button for a few minutes and answer those three questions. That in and of itself can change your life. And if it doesn't change your life, it at least puts you on the path to creating momentum to start thinking about what is the next chapter for you. So thank you for that. I'm going to quote your website because I love Mm. that you said this. You said, you said when you were born, you were perfect Mm. and free, but then life Mm. happens and you learn to develop survival mechanisms that disconnect you from your essence. You develop Mm. layers that cover up that perfect soul you were born with. So can you tell us about, I'm curious for you to say more about these layers in some ways we can start to unpack or uncover them. Yeah. I think many, in many ways we're conditioned, but I think we don't realize that we're conditioned. We think that who we are is who we really are, but we don't realize we've been programmed and conditioning by past, by parents, by media, by society, by childhood, et cetera, et cetera. So when we're born, I believe that we're born free. If you look at a child, the child is in touch with their magnificence. A child is in touch with their divinity. A child is in touch with their essence. I think that's why when you look into a child's eyes, you know, you, you, we melt because yeah. we, are remi- we are reminded 
of what we really are. We're reminded of what we were once in touch with, but we've lost touch with for some reason. But it's always there. And so it, a child reconnects us to our own true nature because they're in touch with that infinite, unconditioned essence that is inside of us all. And so when we were children, we were born. We were born free. We were born whole. We were born complete. And a child would jump on a table and dance and sing. The child didn't really care if it was, if it didn't sing like, let's say, Bruno Mars or Celine Dion. A child would run up to, would run up to you and, and hug you and love you. It was full of love, full of self-expression. It didn't really care so much, especially in those beginning stages. Do you like me? What do you think? You know, am I fat? Or maybe mm-hmm. I'm going to get rejected. It would just, just jump on you. You know, it was just this unrestrained joy joy and love and essence flowing. But what happened? What happened is we were born, we, we met our parents, and our parents are just doing the best that they could yeah. do based on based on their childhood, based on their past, based on their conditioning. Many times they're unconscious, and so they're, they're raising us in the best way possible. So when we're born into an environment called the world, called life, perhaps we, you know, we were all born into different situations. Perhaps we were born into an environment where there was divorce, or there was alcoholism, or there was addiction, or there was pain, or there was mm, abuse, or whatever. Maybe emotional needs weren't met by our parents because they were working. Maybe it wasn't, you could say, so traumatic is just they went around or they just didn't have the skills to be able to be with us and give us or see us in the way that we needed to be seen. And so in some ways, as children, we experience these things as tremendously painful. We experience these things as pain in our bodies, in our hearts, in our minds, in our nervous system. And so two things occur in terms of how we start developing layers and how we get conditioned. The first thing is as we were faced with these experiences as children, we start learning all sorts of survival mechanisms, all sorts of ways to shut down, disconnect, and not feel the pain of rejection, to not feel the pain of maybe our parents are screaming, to not feel the pain of maybe our parents aren't around, to not feel whatever our environment was. We start learning all sorts of mechanisms to shut down, disconnect, and we start suppressing the pain, suppressing the feelings that are coming up as as simply as a way to function and survive. And so that's the first thing. So we start shutting down parts of our feeling, parts of ourselves to just survive. And that's the first thing. Then we learn to go into the world. And also maybe in response to our caregivers, response to our grandparents, our parents, those around us, that we, that we, you know, we wanted their love. We wanted their validation. So we start learning the sense of who do I need to be? in order to get love? Who do I need to be in order to be valid? Who do I need to be in order for my dad to love me? You know, for me, as a young boy, my father being a preacher's kid, I, you know, I learned, wow, if I'm, if I'm good, if I'm nice, if I'm responsible, if I'm the perfect son, right, then, uh, then I get love, then I get validation. And so I learned, so we start to develop all sorts of roles, masks, and, and personas, which become an identity, in terms of getting love, being validated, being approved, and ultimately getting, again, getting certain needs. It's survival. So avoidance of uh, pain as a, as a way to survive, but also we start developing this, the sense of these roles to, uh, to get love and fit in and be validated. And this becomes, then we hold tightly onto this way of being, and this becomes a sense of our identity, which gets locked in, which gets reinforced. And this becomes, uh, creates a sense of this is who I am. And many times you hear people say, no, no, cool. this is just who I am. This is just me. I am just this way. I'm just, you know, I'm just shy. I'm just, you know, a responsible person. I'm just a serious person. I'm just a certain way. And I always ask people, first, we have to start questioning. Is who you are 
who you really are or is it who you've been conditioned to be and i think many times we're not we're not conscious you know i just give you a quick example i think just to drive the point home i had a client many years ago who who uh i took on one of my intensive uh transformational journeys to india and you know his wife his wife referred him to me his wife was a very outgoing loud rambunctious just you know outspoken person she spoke a lot and he was a very quiet person he said i'm just a shy person i'm just a quiet person i'm just you know i'm a behind the scenes person i looked at him and i said that's bullshit you're Mm -hmm. you're living a lie that's not who you really are you are a lion and you've been living like a mouse that's just that's just your conditioning and he he said really i mean i'm just i've just always been shy i'm just i'm just a shy guy and so as i started working with him you know the first step to really shifting our conditioning is we have to become conscious because many times we're not even conscious that we're conditioned we're operating in in unconsciousness and so as i started working with him i started asking some of these some of the questions in terms of truth and and had him start to, to be really be just become aware of, of some of his programming and his conditioning and he came to me 24 hours later and he says Coop, i'm 55 years old i haven't cried since i was five years old wow. my heart has been disconnected and shut down but i didn't I, I i just thought i just thought that was who i was i just thought that was normal but but in the exploration and as you asked me some questions around truth, et cetera, et cetera, I started feeling some things. And he said to me, when I, I realize now, and I blocked this out of my mind completely, I realize now that when I was five, I was actually molested by my uncle. Oh, no. And I was, a little, I was a little taken aback. I wasn't expecting that. He said, I was molested by my uncle. And I completely forgot. I completely blocked it out of my memory. But I realized now, and he was crying. I mean, there was a lot of tears and, and emotion. And he says, kid, I'm feeling things I haven't felt. I'm feeling things that I've suppressed my whole life. And I think that's also an important step is the willingness to feel what, we, what we've suppressed, the willingness to feel, you know, the willingness to feel the layers of pain and hurt and whatever it is we've suppressed over the years in order to just function and survive. And so he was feeling all of these layers of emotion that he'd pushed down and pressed down. And he said, what I realized is when I was five, I was free. I was alive. I was vibrant. I was radiant. I was fully expressed. I wasn't shy. But I realized, finally, in the last 24 hours, that I made a decision. I made a decision that if I am seen, if I am, if people see me, if I'm out there, if I'm expressive, if I'm, if I'm fully you know, myself. Vulnerable. And I'm seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I'm seen, then it's dangerous. And then bad things happen, like what happened to me. And I didn't realize that at the time, but I made an unconscious unconscious decision that if you can't see me, if nobody sees me, if I'm in the background, if I'm in quotation marks, if I become the shy person and I remain in the background, I blend in, I, I'm quiet and I've been quiet my whole life. If you can't see me, then you can't hurt me. Yeah, and I've been living. It's hiding. And, and what he'd been what he was doing was hiding his entire life. And so the first step for him was to become conscious. And as a result of becoming conscious to feel the feelings he had suppressed and hadn't felt. And uh, that began his process of, of transforming and healing. And then he had to start questioning. And many times we don't question who we are. So I invite people to actually begin to question who you are. Many times, you know, you hear in personal growth. Be sure of who you are. I actually ask people for a moment, don't be sure of who you are. Don't mm-hmm. be so sure question of it. who you are. Be, be willing to question who, who, who am I really? And is who I am who I really am? Would I be who I, would I, what would I say and how would I express and who would I be if I didn't need, 
if I didn't have to say what I thought I needed to say, if I didn't need to be who I thought I needed to be, who would I be really? Because, you know, if, if I often ask people, if you lost your memory, if let's say you had an accident and you were in a hospital room right now and you, the, the doctor walks in and he says, you've lost your memory and you lost your memory completely. What, I, what, what could you know about yourself for sure? You wouldn't know your name. You wouldn't know your past. You wouldn't really know the kind of person you were. What would you know about yourself for sure? So I, what happened to the you, to that person that she was so sure about? Mm. You know, so, so in the hospital room, the only thing you would really know for sure, you wouldn't know your name. You wouldn't know your religion. You wouldn't know I'm a shy person. I'm a this person. Because all of those are, are stories that we've made up about ourselves in a particular moment of our life to try and make meaning and try and make sense about certain experiences and events. And then we hold tightly onto that. And then as a result, we end up allowing the story to limit or inhibit our full expression. The only thing you could know for sure in the hospital room, if you knew, if you lost your memory completely is, is something like, uh, I I am, Mm -hmm. I I am now. (laughs) I'm here now. That's all you could know. And so uh, we have to start questioning our stories. So I just would just leave people to think just just to, to, with the thought that you are not your stories. Yeah. Your stories aren't. aren't oh, we make so up static. stories all day long, all day long. All day long. Well, that, I, I can kind of go in two different directions here. I'm just going to kind of in, intuitively move. I love the example that you gave with the man. I mean, I don't love what happened to him, but just the yeah. whole concept of hiding. And I feel like. So many people do that. I would even venture to say that maybe even the majority of people do that to some extent. And I'm going to make a huge generalization here. And in regards to men and women, and I hate gender stereotyping, but just again, huge sweeping generalization that men... Well, let me save that one for later because I can speak more to, to women. The majority of the my audience is women, and I feel that we have been socialized to hide. Uh, you know, it's unladylike to to be outspoken, and, and there are certain ways that we have been taught to be that are that are acceptable. And I'm using air quotes over mm-hmm. here. And then for men, maybe that's my question. I don't know what it was like for you growing up in West Africa, uh, but you know, here in the states, and I have a lot of Australian listeners and some in the UK and Canada, but. What are, what is your opinion have we done over the last several decades to men in terms of making them hide? What have we done in terms of making men hide? In Just, what you know, and I'm kind of like leading the witness here a little bit, like about emotions and, and things like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just think we have this idea that you know, in terms of the masculine, it's not, boys don't cry. It's not okay to be emotional. And so I think in many ways, men have had to suppress and disconnect from their feelings and emotions in order to fit into some sort of stereotypical, you know, Lone Ranger kind of Clint Eastwood. We've been conditioned and socialized with an idea of what man is, an idea Mm -hmm. of what masculine is, an idea which is unemotional, stoic, the Lone Ranger, not you know, not in community. And so I think that's also very, very limiting, you know, and uh, it's, it's sad because then we've disconnected from an essential part of ourselves. I think inside of every human being is masculine and feminine. And I think to be healthy and to be whole and to be fulfilled and to be vibrant is to uh, be able to peel layers away of pain and hurt and conditioning to actually connect to one's authentic, true nature, and be able to, to to have access to the masculine, but also the feminine inside of us all. Yes. I think it's it's a really it's a really important thing to to to, to be able to express the masculine and feminine because they're you know they're they're, they're both 
aspects and dimensions of our being. They're within all of us. Yeah. Uh, kind of switching gears moderately, you wrote a blog post. I don't actually know exactly when you wrote it. I believe that it was after the Las Vegas shooting. You called it a letter to human- humanity and in all caps, it says urgent. <laughs> and I know yeah. that even since then, we've had we've had some hard stuff going on in the world. And not that it's new. It's always been going on. I think that it's just become more in our face. And with social media, I think things have kind of hit this fever pitch. So what do you... What can you kind of like break it down? Like what you were saying in that letter to humanity? What was your main message? If you can remember that post, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I actually don't remember the post because I, I write them and then you know I move on. I also but, hate it when well, people I, ask well, me that too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm like, I'm thinking, wow. And sometimes people actually read my my uh, my blog post to me, and I'm like, wow, who wrote? I wrote that. Did I write that? That sounds really great. You I know, love but, that. I, don't I, have I, I, I actually. You know, when I when I when I put something out there, I don't hold on to it. And I think it's so important that when you create, whether you're an artist, whether you're creative, whether you have a message, put it out there, but don't get attached to the end result of your creation. Don't get attached to whether people like it or whether people don't like it. I say unhook yourself from the negative opinions, but also unhook yourself from the positive opinions and do your art, do your work, share your message, share your gift, because in the moment that is what your soul is seeking to express Mm -hmm. without any attachment. But what I will say, just to kind of tune in to your question about these intense times, I think, yes, we are living in some intense times as old paradigms collapse, old systems collapse, you know, in so many, many, uh, in many senses, people say we're, we're going through a crisis on planet Earth. But I believe right now we are facing, we are in the midst of a, a wake up call. And I think we can no longer as a humanity push the snooze button. I think more than ever, as you look at the events of the world, whether it's the shooting in Las Vegas, whether it's, you know, the fires going on in, you know, in, 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 in California, whether it's wars around the world, I think more than ever, we have to all, as a humanity, step up right now and vote for truth and love in our lives. You call me a love evangelist, but I think that's the most powerful force on the planet that as human beings, you and I, if we are born, if you're listening to this conversation, you are born at the most unique, intense, incredible time in human mm-hmm. history. We've had the techno, we've had the industrial revolution. I feel that right now we're also in the midst of the technological revolution, but I feel right now we're also in the midst of the greatest spiritual revolution that the world has ever seen. And you and I, we're born right now. We want a cosmic lottery ticket to be alive at this unique time. And if you are alive at this unique time, it is no accident. There is a reason your soul has incarnated and has been has taken birth at this time in human history because there are gifts that you have. So as you look around at the, you know, challenging and difficult events that are going on around the world, you can go into a collapse and feel like, oh my God, the world is going to shit. This is horrible Mm -hmm. and and complain. Or you can use that as a, a realize that is a bold invitation from the universe to your soul to step up. And so realize that with every thought, with every action, with every intention, that we are all co-creating our world and our future. And we must do whatever it takes to to elevate our own consciousness first and foremost, because the world ultimately is a reflection, is a mirror manifestation of the collective consciousness of all of us. So it's not enough to just change stuff out there in the world if we're not changing things inside of ourselves. And so I think we can also let you know the outer circumstances determine who we're going to be, or we can actually consciously choose love. And I think every experience 
is a invitation, is a demand, is a challenge, is a is an opportunity. I believe life is the ultimate spiritual practice. Every moment is an opportunity to choose love and to choose love and to choose love. And each time we choose negativity, we actually and each time we indulge reactivity and pessimism, we actually enforce the current reality. And I think many people, you know, we sometimes point and we blame at the government, the president, this person, that person. I think actually that is the easy thing to do. That takes no creativity. That takes no spiritual consciousness to point the finger in blame. But I think what what is really required is that we all step up as the leaders, because leaders, I think, are a mirror manifestation of our own collective consciousness. So I, mm-hmm. I always tell people, look, mm-hmm. don't indulge the drama. Energy flows to the point of your intention. Yes, shit is happening. Yes, the world is not perfect. But I always tell people, look, we live in a three-dimensional world. We live in a world that is the don't look for perfection in the world. You won't find ultimate utopia, heavenly perfection in the world. The drill, you won't find perfection at the level of your personality. There's no perfect world. There's no perfect human being. There's no perfect leader. The world is made up of interdependent polaric opposites, yin, yang, black, white, male, female. It is the Tao. It's physics, rich, poor. This will always exist as the dance, the co-creative dance of life. When we can accept life as it is, then we move into relationship with life as it is. Then we actually stop fighting life as it is. Then we free our energy up to be able to change reality, to change life into a more, you could say, uplifting, uh, direction. So remember, folks, energy flows to the point of your attention and it serves nothing to be uh, a part of the problem. And so I think when we make a radical commitment to love, you realize that love, why I'm so passionate, Andrew, about love is I think love itself has no, op- op- has no opposition. Mm-hmm. It has no opposition. And I think we have to have a faith that's from, from, a, from a bigger perspective. That right now, even though it's challenging times on planet Earth, I really believe that we're actually going through a spiritual process on, on the planet Earth. We're I actually agree. going through a an awakening, a purification. People say, oh, my God, look at America, look at the government, look at this. You know, I think in order for true healing to happen, and it, like I work with people on a personal level, okay? I work with politicians, but I also work with people on a personal level. And I think in order for true healing to happen, the shadow must come to the surface and be transformed. The dark, you know, unprocessed fear, shame, guilt, yeah. all that stuff as, as, as individual human beings, all that stuff to truly transform, all that stuff has to come to the surface. We have to courageously be willing to kind of dig inside and bring that stuff to the surface and, and hold our pain, our hurt, our guilt our shame, whatever we've suppressed with love and transform it. Because I think, you know, real healing happens in the space of love. This is part of the healing process. So when the darkness that we're sometimes coming to the surface right now, when the darkness comes to light, it won't be, you could say, uh, pretty at first, right? It's not going to be. No, it's not. That's that's amazing, you know, And, and I think it's easy to go into judgment and hate and condemn it. But I think that only serves to reinforce it. So we have to we have to be willing to 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 hold everything that is happening right now that is that is coming up in our politics, in our world, in in all levels, with love, with compassion, starting with ourselves. And I think we have to be willing to face our shadow directly, which is happening right now, those dark parts of ourselves, the addictions, the wounds, the challenges that lurk in our psyche, and and integrate that. And and, and so I'm actually excited about the times that we're in. I'm actually excited about 
the opportunity for us all to heal and transform. And I think our real work as a humanity is just beginning. Uh, this, to me, this this is this is why we're born. This is why we signed up. We signed up for this moment right now. We signed up to be a part of the transformation that is happening. So I would just ask everyone, look, are you what 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 are you committed to being at this unique time? Who are you committed to being? What actions are you taking? What actions will you take now to do your part? Because we all play a part. So that was a little long. Well, no, you said actually something like that was my favorite part of that whole post. And you said, in order for true healing to happen, our shadow must come to the surface and be transformed. This is Uh, part of the healing process. So you did, you nailed it. You knew what you wrote. And I love that. And it's, it's funny. Some people ask me, they say, I'm so overwhelmed in personal development. Where should I start? And I think that they're hoping that I say something like, let's start with your goals, you know? And I'm like, no, start with your shadow side, start with your family of origin shit, start with your addictions, like the hard stuff. It has to, because you know, many times the goals that we are setting, right? Like, oh, I want a Ferrari. I want to achieve this goal. That's not what they really want. there's something I under it. It's, it's, it's what we think we really, it's right. what we think we want based on who we think we are. But if we're not in touch with who we are, then you achieve that only to realize, oh, oh shit, that's not really what I wanted. And many times, what we think we want is a compensation for things that maybe certain pains, wounds, inadequacies from our family of, of origin, mm-hmm. from our childhood. And, and so, I think when we truly heal ourselves, then we can actually connect with from a place of wholeness. Who am I? And from a place of wholeness, what do I really want? What do I really authentically want to express, not just to cover something up? And I think then then, then we can come from wholeness versus try to get to wholeness. I want to say that I don't really feel like you went that far away from what your dad wanted you to do in the world. Because if you just think of the world as church, like you are... You're a preacher. <laughs> um, I guess, it, yes, in, 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 in many ways, you could say, uh, I, lo- I love evangelists. Yes. And sharing a message. Uh, yes, I would agree. <laughs> I I have loved this partly because I had to do hardly any work here and you just are so, I'm, I'm just imagining that your stamina for doing this is amazing. And I'm, I'm thinking like, I would be exhausted after this conversation if I were you, but it's clear that you, <laughs> that you've been doing this since you're eight years old. It's amazing. This is, this, this, this is a snack because you know, uh, when, when I do my, when I do my events, like I'm about to go to Bali to do an event, it's 12 days and, and the event days are Ooh. approximately eight to 20 hours so this is like a like like a, a, a no snack, big deal. I say, you know but it's, no it's an deal. amazing conversation i love yeah, it but you know one, one, one thing i will say too is you know yes i've been doing it since i was eight years old and i think you know i get to speak around the world and, and companies corporations the public arenas festivals you name it a lot of people say wow cool you're an amazing speaker you're a great speaker yes i'm passionate about what i do i'm skilled at what i do but what people don't realize is when i was eight years old we lived behind my father's church and we didn't have a lot of money. And my, my bedroom was so tiny, Andrew. I mean, it was, it was, you could barely fit a one, you know, a one person bed in it and one chair. And that was it. So mm-hmm. we didn't have a lot. And my dreams were so big. I wanted to impact the world. I wanted to speak to, you know, millions of people. And yet my, my the reality of my circumstance was so tiny. And so what I would do as an eight-year-old, as a 10-year-old, as an 11-year-old, all the way up until 18, I would sneak into my father's church at the middle of the night when the lights were off. And I would, what people don't know is from, from probably age 10-ish, age 11-ish, I would speak to the empty chairs and give seminars to the empty chairs for three, four hours every night till I was 18. And I would practice and hone my skill. And I, you could say I was speaking for free, sharing my gift, living my purpose, even when no one is around. 
And so I, I always tell people, don't if you have a dream and a vision, don't wait for someone to give you the opportunity. Create your opportunity. Give it away. Add value. You know, money, follow, money, abundance, success follows you adding value to people's lives and solving pain, problems, and challenges. And so I was sharing my gift to the empty chairs, honing my skill, waiting for opportunities, creating my opportunities, preparing for opportunities before anyone even knew me in public. I was, you could say, preparing in mm-hmm. private. And so, and so uh, that's, that's what I invite everyone to do. Follow, go in the direction. Don't wait. Go, if you don't know what your purpose is, go in the direction of what you love. Go in the direction of what brings you most alive. Go in that direction because that is what makes you most alive. I would do what I'm doing for free. And when I first started, I was doing what I was doing for free. And, and so go in that direction. That is, that is the universe's way of, of, of sort of nudging you and your dreams choose you. We think we choose our dreams. I think our true authentic dreams choose us because I each of us, we are the, we are the perfect ones to mm-hmm. fulfill those dreams and the vision, our pain, our trauma, our hurt, our successes, our divorces, our heartbreaks, our wins, everything we've lived. Uh, you could say the divine chef has been perfectly marinating us and cooking us to prepare us to be served to the world. So celebrate not just your wins, but celebrate Everything that's happened to you, every time you've fallen over, because that is just part of the ingredients of life. Follow your destiny. I love this. I love this conversation. Thank you so much for instilling your wisdom on on today's show. And show notes, everybody, you can head on over and Coot's website <laughs> is in there, cootblackson.com. Anywhere else, where you know, where can people go if they want to find out more about the things that you yeah. offer in your coaching, et cetera? Absolutely. Yeah. Obviously, my website, cootblackson.com, people can go there. A couple of other resources, too. would love to invite everyone to check out my book, You Are The One. Uh, put a lot of time, energy, and love into that book. And people around the world have been really touched and inspired by the book. You are the one. Find it from Amazon or youaretheonebook.com. And if anyone feels you know, really inspired by this conversation, uh, connect with me on social media. But if you're feeling a, a calling or a connection with, with my work and, and, and with, with who I am, you can uh, twice a year I do a very special event for leaders and visionaries. And if anyone feels ready for that next level in their life and you have a sense that you are here for a purpose that is bigger than yourself and you feel you are here to to affect change on a on a bigger level, then twice a year I do a very special transformational 12-day event in Bali called Boundless Bliss. You can go to www.boundlessblissbali.com to find out more and uh, connect with me there. Thank you so, so, so much. I am also grateful to all of you listeners who are out there. I know how valuable your time is and am incredibly grateful that you take it to spend the time with me and my guests. And I will see you next week, everybody. And until then, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. Hey there, ass kickers. If you are still with me, that tells me you are a loyal listener of the show Thank you so very much for that. Second, there are two ways that you can support the show if you're feeling so inclined. The first one is that you can leave a rating and review, whether it's on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, leaving a rating and review helps me so 
much. The second is you can support the show over on Patreon. Over there, there is a way for you to get your questions answered on listener Q&A episodes, suggest topics that you want me to riff on here, and suggest guests that you would like to have on the show, as well as other giveaways and things that I do over there. Head on over to patreon.com slash YKAL to check it out. 